Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening and welcome to the History of Germany podcast. I'm Travis Dow, but today I'm not alone because this is actually a crossover podcast with the lesser bonapartes how's it how's it going guys going quite well um i, I actually i learned some german for the occasion i thought i'd share that with you travis <laughs> oh oh boy this is are my ears gonna bleed or no 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 i just i've been practicing it and so if i ever go to germany this is going to be the only thing i ever say to anybody all right looking forward to that it's yeah. good wer will ein schneiderweiss <laughs> Is Schneiderweisse your favorite beer or something? Is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's my favorite. <laughs> or did you, or did you just see that on a poster? <laughs> no, no, it's it just sounded, German it just beer. sounded really German. So I wanted to work yeah. that in. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, we should uh, say we should say our names. Uh, I'm Daniel from Lesser Bonaparte's. And I'm Glenn. And uh, okay, there we go. But uh, right, yeah, I'm, uh, I am. I, I have. Uh, I have already dazzled. Um, dazzled travis with some of the german i'm trying to learn i am i am going i'm going to make it my mission to uh throughout um the next couple of months learn how to order nine different kinds of german beer um, so. <laughs> well now wait a minute that's that's easy because if, if you know nine german beer brands <laughs> then you just have to say ich möchte and whatever yeah. augustina uh, yeah Pilsner. ich möchte uh saint Pauli girl you guys have oh, that <laughs> 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 Oddly enough, I've never actually seen that in Hamburg. <laughs> really? It, I, I was to understand it was the most authentic of all German beers with right. that blonde lady on it. Each each yeah. Mista Milwaukee's best ice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, if you've listened if you've listened to my beer episode, you know that that we, that's not even called beer on the history of Germany podcast. That doesn't that doesn't even that you can't even you can call it I don't know ale or or malt, malt liquor, but like there's laws in Germany. You can't yeah, just they, yeah. they have to follow Reinheitskabut, right? Don't they? Yeah. Exactly. There yes. you go. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. We have about um, we have uh, we have Travis on the show because over on History of Germany. Uh, he's actually getting up to uh, Charlemagne, which is where we were ending up with our with our Frankish series. And uh, and and first of all, thank you very much uh, again, Travis, uh, for for coming in and rapping with us. Um, because <laughs> and I already I already already used the word rapping with us. God, I'm I'm a lame English teacher. Um, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, I, I guess for uh, all you boners at home, we are looking for. I, I guess just to sort of give you the modus operandi here, we're just gonna kind of have a chat. We're not really gonna tell you like the the straight dope like story A B C D about Charlemagne, partly because um it, it's a terrifyingly giant story. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we've already poured so much work into the Franks that we were kind of like you know we want to do something special to to round it out, and you can't talk about Franks and not talk about Charlemagne. But at the same time, like uh, you know, it would be it's fun to bring someone else uh, bring someone else in and kind of yak about Charlemagne. So. I'm going to ask you guys a question. All right. What do you think 
Charlemagne's favorite cloak looked like? That was a weird question, and I just, just the blank stares. <laughs> Wait of a you minute, guys, just looking at me because, like, what, you, I bet. what kind of man do you think Charlemagne was like when he was getting dressed in the morning? You know. He was it was purple because he was he was like kind of trying to be wait was he even trying to be a Roman emperor already like was he <laughs> it was a purple I mean, cloak come on it's a trick question that's it's too easy I guess I guess it does I guess it does have to be I was thinking something like I, don't uh, know. <laughs> I was thinking something like like a lot of gold trim like uh, I don't know, has like like embroidery says Rex Francorum across the back like a yeah. boxer coming in the ring because he's because <laughs> he's, he's a big that's... fucking deal. The gold embroidered, yeah, gold embroidered boxer's cloak. That, yeah, yeah, that would about do it. He's got the build for it. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Glenn. Okay, I want to know, okay, okay, he might have he had it. But um, I guess I guess the first thing I'd like to settle this, uh, Daniel, I think a good way, kind of a good way in with this whole topic is that, um, is that um, we want to, I want to ask first, since we have uh, both, I guess, schools of thought in the room, does Charlemagne belong to the Germans or the French before we continue? Absolutely. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you, Travis. Well, oh, wait, did that. I ruin it? No, no. I meant make, to say uh, the Germans, obviously. Yeah, make, uh, make the argument, Travis. We, I, I, I want to I hear it. Ooh, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, what's the argument? Um, cause, cause the, the, I mean, the truth is, is that I wouldn't, I wouldn't really argue either way. It, it, both claim <laughs> him rightfully, but, but if you're going to make the argument, uh, bottom line is if you had a time machine and you could, and he opened his mouth and he said words, what language do you think would come out of his mouth, out of his mouth, mein Herr, ich glaube, das hört sich etwas so an, and it's not very French sounding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I think he would have been like the, um. It's it's uh, I, something that we learned on on our Frankish series is that the there's actually some like the Rhineland dialects uh, yeah. in modern day Germany are kind of more or less similar to what Charlemagne himself would have been speaking because he was derived from that Austrasian. Yeah, that's of, my of understanding. Yeah, almost like <clears throat> okay. yeah, exactly. So yeah, like that okay. Platzdeutsch is like as close as we could get as to that old. Like I've seen it written, and it's almost it's it's like almost a foreign language. It's like I can't. I mean, it's it's old. It's old Middle <laughs> German or something. Um, so in that sense, German has changed so much uh, since his time that you could say it was a different language, and French has done the same. So that's my own counter argument. Damn it. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, well, I mean, that's that's, uh, that's good that we bring that up then, because was there even really, I guess we could say at this time, a German identity, quote unquote, no. um, as a way in? I mean, uh, you know, so I guess what the uh, am I getting this correct, uh, Travis? When I what, what there were just there were numerous German dialects yeah. at the time, um, you know, such as like Swabie or whatever. Yeah. And oh um, yeah, Bavarians and oh yeah, and, uh, and now compare that to like Gallo-Roman. Gaul, mm-hmm. right. yeah, totally. Which would have been, yeah, yeah. I guess, more or less more uh, in, inter uh, inter somethingable, understandable. I don't they, know. I don't yeah, they would have been a mix of That's stuff, but they would know who they are. They're like we're Gallo Roman, whatever that means. Right, you know? right, right, right. I mean, yeah, they would have an, have a much more self identity than um, the various Germanic tribes. Uh, like if you're talking about each specific tribe, that's yeah. different. Like the Franks, oh yeah, like the Franks definitely knew that they were Franks and they liked other uh, Frankish clans and they all worked together. You know, Saxons were the same way, but yeah, Germans, no. In the way that we see it today, <laughs> they all hated each other. They all fought each other. They could barely understand each other at the time. Um, yeah, <laughs> which I guess makes it all the more, I guess, interesting to me. Sort of thinking about Charlemagne 
ruling over it. Because I guess we should also say, like, Charlemagne came to he came to power in the, what seven sixty eight, I believe, mm-hmm. and so that's a couple couple few decades after where Glenn and I left off our story with with Charles Martel, um, mm. but uh, but he he's he's ended up you know he he inherits the vastly more unified kingdom that Charles Martel, you know, left to his son Pepin, and then Pepin leaves it to Charlemagne and Charlemagne's brother Carloman, who conveniently mm-hmm. dies very early on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here we have Charlemagne ruling over, like, what amounts to the entirety of, like, Western Christendom, except for, like, Italy and the British Isles, basically. Mm-hmm. And... And and I guess like uh, something that's cool to me about Charlemagne, I I don't know. I'm sort of, I, I guess I'm sort of subtly shifting into a part of the show where we talk about what we admire about Charlemagne. Uh, <laughs> that, but he he actually like had a the the fact that he was able to maintain it, this kind of sense of authority, you know, how, however rickety it was at times. And I know he had to like crack down a bit over yeah. this realm that spanned from you know the the, the Pyrenees all the way across that whole northern European arc. Into uh, like I guess the the borders of the old um, I guess this realm ended up extending to the borders of the old like East Germany right so it was like mostly like West Germany uh, yeah you know, exactly and that's, that's well yeah because then it it yeah. depends because he's every year he tried to fight further east and so it dep- it almost depends on whether you're talking about uh, spring or fall. Seriously, every year the border was that you know Sac- you know he'd beat the Saxons back and they would come right back the next you know next spring or whatever and he'd have to go back again. So yeah, you know, but yeah, yeah, I, w- I would say you could say like kind of yeah border between East and West Germany. That's that's a good way to look at it in his lifetime. So, kind of a, a, a oh, sorry, Glenn, you you look uh, thoughtful. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm very skeptical of all this Charlemagne uh, horseshit because um, I think that. <laughs> well, I mean, I, okay, he's so so he's a national hero in, in in Germany and to some extent France, but I think that this was a desperate ploy by both both him, Charlemagne, and the papacy at the time, which was in kind of a ruinous, kind of fallen into a bit of a ruinous calamity. And they both needed something real solid in order to secure. Like I said, they, you know, how are we going to subdue all these disparate tribes? How are we going to take away these sweep away these final remnants of paganism? Uh oh, we got Saracens knocking at our door. If you listen yeah. to the last episode, we have the Moors that are trying to kind of probe mm-hmm. into southern Gaul at the time. So how do we officially, you know, stand up, flex some nuts, and say Rome is back, baby? <laughs> Well, we had to, we had to, and then what did that even mean by the year 800? I mean, what is, you know, I guess we could, they, they could kind of look oh, to Co- yeah. Constantinople for some sort of a guideline as to how to behave Romany, but they needed to, they needed to kind of come back and unite things in a big way if the, the whole kingdom was going to hold together because it was always falling apart. We had all these, like we talked about these succession rules that for some reason mm. stated that you had to divide your kingdom up equally amongst all yeah. your sons. <laughs> Which even so, after like, yeah. like Pe- Pepin did it too with, with Carloman and shit. Like it, it, even after spending your whole, like with Clovis, like you spend your whole damn life, like centralizing yeah. everything. And then, <laughs> but that's just how it was. Custom like, custom. You know, you know how all your grandfathers killed all your great uncles? Yeah. You know how all your, your dad had to kill all your uncles? 
well, you're going to have to do that too, son. There's just no way around it. That's just how the Franks operate. What the hell? Like, yeah, it took them hundreds of years to figure that out. I just give it to one son. That's yeah, already yeah, yeah. bad enough. That's already risky enough. Son, sit down. I've written into my will that all your uncles are going to try to kill you in about a month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no way to prepare you. You're going to you're going to be severely mentally like damaged, but uh, if you survive at all. I declare upon my death a civil war. Who cares? I'm going to die. Who cares? Um, but um, yeah. these these kind of fracturous succession rules made everything. I get. I, I, I had to be so redundant, so fracturous that the sinner <laughs> wasn't holding anymore, right? Yeah. Because, the, like we've said, you know, a few times now, this type of you know real politique made the Lombards fracture into thirty-five different warring kingdoms in Italy. Knocking at the Pope's door, he did all he could to try to placate them. You know, France was always so divided, the Visigoths always so divided that the Moors had no trouble just waltzing in and taking over whatever mm-hmm. they wanted to. So this had to change in order for anything to kind of stabilize in any meaningful way. There are just too many outside threats now, particularly with the Moors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the Moors are awesome pirates. They all put on their pirate hat, got a little parrot, and decided they were just going to turn the Mediterranean and into their own private lake. You know, these German barbarians, not the most seafaring folk at the time. Yeah. So they really had no protection against that at all unless they really wanted to unify in a big way. And what better way to do that than behind the church, like we learned all mm-hmm. the way back during the era of Constantine. Right, so right. Now we, <laughs> so with all these, uh, you know, with all these desperate threats, you know, we, we have Rome essentially um, beginning to take kind of these votes of no confidence against the Pope. Mm-hmm. This comes to a head with Pope Leo the Third, and hey. Why don't we make a deal, you and I? Um, you know, we kind of like, I don't know. I think it was political maneuvering more than any try to, you know, way to bring back the Roman Empire. And that's really the only kind of baseline we had to go off on the time, really, is, well, what's the only empire that we can really point to? Well, look, <laughs> right. look, yeah. at, the, look at that crumbling uh, aqueduct over there. Let's say we're bringing that back, you know, and then. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're bringing uh, yeah. we're bringing sexy back in a big way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're bringing sexy back, but it would be, I guess, yeah. Bringing Rexy yeah, so, back? No, that's not <laughs> right. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know what what would, what the common people would have thought of us at the time. Oh, hey, hey, guys, did you hear Rome's coming back? Oh, what well, well, great! You put the bread in the oven, and then we, yeah. know, like, like, what, did, what did the Byzantine Empire think of that whole situation? The all of Charlemagne and him being crowned emperor. I mean, they're, they're sitting there like, what, what is going on? Who, I mean, I think there was a Ro- Roman um, emperor that isn't even, you know, crowned. Yeah. I mean, it's just weird. right. Right. It, it's, it would have, it would have almost seemed like, uh, like children play acting at, at, it, yeah, actual, very much so, you know, at, yeah. you know, Romanitas, but I think like, like, isn't that, isn't that cute? Yeah. Look what you guys are doing <laughs> in the old Imperial city, you know? It was it was convincing enough that um it was uh Irene tried to uh it, it was it Irene who sent the marriage proposal to Charlemagne or was it like the Pope who sent it to Irene? But I think there was at least like talks to actually marry Charlemagne to the uh sort of the, the Empress Dowager there in Byzantium mm-hmm. to, to unify mm-hmm. the empires, which, you know I don't know how yeah. well that would have gone over at the wedding. I don't think the the bride side and the groom side might not have <laughs> really yeah, really mixed. That- 
<laughs> that also, I mean, later later German kings tried this a lot. Like there's there there are yeah. Bi- Byzantine queens in the in the Holy Roman Empire be- for that exact reason. Like there's that. Oh wow. Well, okay, yeah. so we got okay. We have the the papal authority in Rome. Check. Um, okay, now we need the actual Romans that are still in Constantinople. Okay, let's you know let's be <laughs> powerful enough that we can marry one of their daughters. Okay, check. Okay, now we can really pretend to be emperor here. You know, now we got it. And my wife speaks Greek. That's actual, awesome. Yeah, if only we can get the actual our actual neighbors to listen to us and to yeah. say that we are you know legit. Yeah, but right. it, but I mean it was a pretty sweet gig. Like they both. So the the uh, Charlemagne needed the Pope to become emperor. Although that's that's argued because he kind of wanted to crown himself and not want to rely on the Pope. But the and Pope clearly Napoleon needed Charlemagne. That so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. That's actually one of the funnier Charlemagne stories is that like the Pope almost tricked him into, um, you know, they were at a, cause it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be a coronation. It was a, um, like the Christmas Eve mass or something. And then when he yeah. knelt for the, in front of the nativity scene, Pope's all like, bam. Oh, and Hey, you're, you're emperor now. <laughs> no, no, and yeah, I, did it, like, I did it. I did it. You all saw it. I did no, it. No, like, yeah, we, we talked about me it. And I, I mean, it was like surprise coronation and, and, um, like Charlemagne was upset according to well so there's one source says he was upset another one says that already before he was um uh, before he was crowned emperor people there was some letters where he was hailed as emperor so huh. like he already so like I mean he was going to do it either way so there's all kinds well, of but just well, that that one well, act <laughs> I think I, I I'm more apt to believe that one because that was sort of that was sort of the bit, wasn't it? Like going back to all the way to the you know the yeah. high Roman Empire is that oh we crown you emperor sir and you go no no me come on not me no <laughs> exactly no, that tra- yep. that Travis, is also yeah Travis is so much more qualified than me to be emperor <laughs> you he deserves the crown more than me and well, everyone goes no no it's you oh, yeah okay, so if there, you there is evidence yeah. for that too because uh what yeah. uh, the they met beforehand when the when the Pope actually mm. had to ask for his help he went to Charlemagne. You know, so mm-hmm. they, they had already met. And so that so there must have been a negotiation, right? Like, OK, well, march to Italy. What do I get for it? So, yeah, right. I mean, right, because right, cause, right, cause um, not, not, not only the, was the pope dealing with the rebellion in Rome, but he finally wanted the Lombards the hell out of there. Right. 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 So, that's exactly. Well, yeah, that's it, actually yeah. Glenn. That's that's what I was going to kind of mention that one thing I think is interesting about this whole setup is that, OK, think of the various titles that Charlemagne has at this point. What I think is pretty interesting is that he is is sort of more or less like a basic main title that he's working with is Rex Francorum, okay, mm-hmm. King of the Franks, not King of France, not King of Frankland, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. King of these people, the Franks. Yeah, the people, but when he, right, right. But when he goes into Italy, you know, at, at the Pope's behest, you know, to help out there and you know, you know, get the Lombards uh, under control, the title that he gets there is uh, uh, it's King of Italy. Like the right. the geographical feature instead of the people, and but so, he changed so he's not that. King of the it was it was first it was King of the Lombards, and then um, uh. that was that was actually like public relations thing. So it was King of the Lombards, <laughs> and then in his own lifetime, he changed it to um, King of Lombardy, and then King of or King of the Italians to King of Italy, and huh. that was a that was a, so it was um, the Franks, yeah, and it was actually it was Charlemagne. All the regions of Germany, all the regions, or oh, even Lombardy and Italy, all those regions. Before then, it was like, okay, I, I conquer you. Now my Frankish realm is just bigger. 
Right. But right. Charlemagne was like, no, I want to collect titles. I want to. I want to be king of Burgundy. I want to be king of Saxony. I want to be king of Italy. I want to be, you know. And yeah, I mean, so and all those uh, king of Frisia and all those regions, it's kept their name because he tied yeah. the king of the title to the land. Yeah. Burgundians are from like almost the Ukrainian border, and yet Burgundy is in France because that's where the that's where the Franks took them over and claimed. Right, to that's be, where you the know. Burgundians landed in time for the Franks to conquer their asses. Exactly. Then, yeah. yeah, same so as the Lombards. They're Burgundians from miles live. and miles away, yeah. but Lombardy is in Italy because that's where the Franks killed them. Yeah. That's like that's like yeah. the chalk outline. Literally, like uh-huh. the, the regional <laughs> names of Europe are all just chalk outlines where it's, Charlemagne or Karl Martel or you know the Franks marched through and. You know, Saxony is where it is because, yep, you guessed it. <laughs> that's where we stop. That's an excellent, excellent metaphor. That's the chalk outlines of. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I think it works. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I think it's telling, though, is that, he, you know, uh, the Pope originally gave him the title Emperor of Rome, and he kind of walks that back a little bit mm-hmm. and, ch- and changes the title to Emperor Governing the Roman Empire. Yeah. So yeah, he did. Yeah. You know, even, <laughs> even, yeah. even, that, even that was a bridge too far to call him the Roman Emperor, right, at the time. Because <laughs> yeah. what's Rome? We don't have a Rome anymore. And if, and if I, there is a Roman, a Roman Empire, it's the guy in Constantinople. He was smart right. enough to know that. And I like that mm-hmm. hair splitting about. About like, well, you're not Roman emperor, but you're an emperor who's in charge of Rome. It's like yeah. being assistant, assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He really is. I think you're the emperor uh, the of all the Romans. If you can find one, you're the emperor of them. Go. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. I think what's um like just sort of talking about like administrative stuff, which I know is just makes for thrilling radio. Um, <laughs> but one thing in some of my researches that I thought was really that I thought was really interesting is that so for a long time, I've been kind of curious about the sort of the transition from like the old, uh, you know, like the, the late antiquity, early middle ages, sort of shambling, uh, you know, zombie corpse of Roman administration evolving into the feudal system and like mm-hmm. where that actually, and it turns out like Charlemagne was like a real fulcrum of that. And I had no idea uh, that yeah. he, like the system of counties as we know yeah. in Western Europe was a, was a Charlemagne thing. Because it kind yeah. of he took the model yeah, the, of like yeah the, there's there's the like Kiwi pre toss. and post Charlemagne as far as that kind of thing like nobility and counties and the way uh, you would have to pay an oath you know to your emperor yeah yeah there's pre and post and Charlemagne is the guy that basically changed it for until the 19th century in Germany I mean it's yeah it's crazy <laughs> <Right>. <clears throat> that's, so, that's why yeah. I, that he made it a uh, you, you're right it became less of a matter of like. I guess in the in the Roman system, it was like, well, you follow the guy who's in charge because it's the law, and but it became yeah, it was more like a taxation, like I pay the government and therefore I have land. Right. It was more like what we have in modern day, whereas Franks were like, you know, it's more like a mafia, like you, you know, <laughs> it's, you pay me protection money. And, you know, I'll let you keep your land. And, you know, when I need help, you help out. And, you know, whenever we're going to go uh, do this hit on these guys over here, you got to join in and, you know, we'll all share the loot. And, and, and sharing the loot became so critical because, yeah, there was, yeah, it was all a um, direct relationship with the king or the direct relationship with the guy above you. Yeah. 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 So what was um what and doesn't that um doesn't that kind of uh, get into my favorite dry as dust term wasn't uh, isn't this kind of the beginning too then of what we becomes kind of the investiture controversies of whether or not we put secular or religious people in charge of these various administrative offices yeah like who gets to uh, who gets to put who in charge of the 
the bishoprics, uh, yes. which were which then and the line wasn't really very clear cut between. Oh, this becomes so messy. I think France <laughs> France is better, but in in Germany, uh, yeah. the Holy Roman Empire, I'm like trying to figure out. You know, if you're trying to figure out, like, okay, who pays, like, who is whose boss? Because yeah, you yeah. can have a prince bishop who can be in total revolt against the pope. And that's okay? How can that be okay? You know, so he doesn't have, I mean, uh, but no, you know, you, yeah, you have uh, clerics that are landholders. You have, I mean, is yeah. And then, yeah, so even, so they're in the chain somewhere. Uh, you have church people in the chain of command between the nobility and you might right, have right. higher people than them and lower people than them, but they're, you know, they're also a duke or a count and a bishop. And I have so, to think like Charlemagne. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, and and that like also starts there. Yeah. Uh, that starts I, I, I with think... the, I don't want to be crowned. Oh, you, uh, yeah. It's just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he, he like this, um. Uh, I, I think another thing I learned about was like these uh, the religious reforms that and again like mm. I I was actually very surprised to because I, I I guess I'm I'm a child of so much of my own autodidactic research and sort of the research that you know Glenn and I have done for lesser Bonapartes where we come to discover like all these people who were supposed to have done this or that actually were just sort of riding the wave but with yeah. Charlemagne I'm kind of leaning toward he actually did this shit because I was reading about how. It was like Charlemagne led the charge to reform the like the monastic system, even. Yes. And like, and he had the authority yes. even to do that. And also, he was the one who like basically was like, "Look, you guys have gotten like way mission creep here. You're way off t- way off target. If you're gonna call yourself a monk, then by God, live by the rule of Saint Benedict and mm-hmm. plant your ass here in this <laughs> abbey and don't. Because yeah. apparently, you would just wander around and you were just like a guy, but you're also a monk. You know who knows." And yeah. yeah, the idea that like Charlemagne was very concerned about finally like like nailing that jello to the wall and being like, okay, you're in this category now. This is what we're doing, and this is what we're gonna yeah. do for the next five hundred years. <laughs> and know? yeah, and those categories stuck. It was yeah, it was there was nobility, the the peasant, and and the the clerics, the church, and that was just that was it. I mean, yeah, uh, uh, like. Uh, Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say that it did have to, it did yield some positive benefits because I wanted to, I wanted to lead that into some of the um, some of these reforms he made, and I guess we can say where some of the positivity did come from that. I, I know I have been skeptical yeah, yeah. here, but um, these demands, these I guess these demands for standards and some kind of standardization and standards yeah. and practices and best practices amongst these monks and these abbeys led to a revolution in learning, Daniel. I know this is yeah. the stuff you love talking Ooh, about. Ooh, yes, intellectual guess, history. <laughs> intellectual history. Yeah, yeah. And, and oh, sorry, before, cause it, before that, it was kind of the Wild West in terms of intellectual thought. Everybody just kind of did whatever they felt like because there was no real hard and fast rules between how we either copied out or wrote new manuscript yeah. until mm-hmm. these various um, experiments in standardization and best practices led to what we call today Carolingian minuscule. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that yep. you know is yep. your school handwriting. <laughs> yes, how's it not your school handwriting? But it's yeah. pretty cool. Like I, you see these manuscripts, like you see images of these manuscripts written in Carolingian minuscule, and it's clear as day. Like you, yeah. can, you can read it. I mean, well, you know, I, I can't understand it's, the Latin, but if you're used <laughs> to, yeah, 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 yeah. you you have to get used to it. But yeah, no, it is. It's always the same. That was the key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mon- yeah, yeah, the monastic yeah. reforms that is worth emphasizing because out of those, you can like directly get. 
um, several universities in, in Germany come from that one reform and the University of Paris, um, you know, that kind of first started as a, you know, Charlemagne um, chartered but church run sort of thing that, yeah. you know, turned into these Europeans oldest and greatest universities, basically. So well, that's, that's so, a real reform. That that yeah. I think, yeah, no one before did that. Like he wasn't riding a wave on that one. That was like willpower. <laughs> right. Like I want, yeah, you guys, I'm going to make you all read. No, we don't. What? No, no, you're going to read. Do your homework. That was like force of will. And uh, and yeah, and then, yeah, I mean, just standardizing everything goes as as part of that. Um, the The other really innovative thing, and like, like, this is also, again, like, okay, maybe he just... Uh, because he, he created the, um, or he expanded the Frankish law. I don't know if he actually created it, or was that Charles Martel? I don't remember. Um, but Charlemagne greatly expanded Frankish law and kind of, it's not, still not categorized, and it's still all over the place as far <laughs> as laws go. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it's definitely uh, there, yeah, I don't think there's older. There's a lot around the same time. So because yeah. as soon as he did the um, Lex Francorum, then there's the like, uh, yeah, the Saxon one is like, oh, there's a Frisian one, Burgundian one, many others. But yeah, that one. But there were others before. So maybe he was riding a wave. <laughs> yeah, well, but, it, it, he may have been riding a wave, but it was, what's kind of interesting, like even with Charlemagne, like aside from like riding the wave or force of will or not, is that he surrounded himself with a lot of very capable people. And yeah. this is an angle that I think is really interesting about his career because you had, of course, the famous uh, Alcuin, who was he really assembled like a dream, an international yeah. dream team of scholars, which is really seriously cool. in his court. That would have just any day of the week. It just would and have been was, so uh, cool to be there. Yeah, there was like Alcuin and uh, this fellow Theofold, who I did not, I, I didn't get a chance to read up on him as much as I would have wanted to, but I thought his background was pretty interesting because his family were living in Gaul, but they were like second generation refugees from the Moorish invasions. And they had hold, uh, held on to their Gothic identity in uh -huh. Gaul. Like they, so they were still yeah. like, oh, well, we're, you know, we're Visigoths, thank you very much, not right. Franks or Gallo Romans. Yeah. But so this, he had this Theofold who was like uh. part of this. And Alcuin, and one thing that I, I, I actually, I wanted to run by uh, both Glenn and, and you, Travis, because I, I, I can't quite believe this, but. I saw some sources crediting Alcuin himself with developing the trivium and quadrivium curriculum for like medieval universities. Like he was the guy who said, this oh. is what we're going to do now. Like he didn't necessarily create it himself, but he was like, this is going to be the um, standard. It, it, I think, I think, I think what that is, is that I've read some of that too. It's kind of like when people are like, Oh, ha ha Al Gore invented the internet. And then, um, <laughs> And then, and then, and then, and yeah. you know, no, no, no. What Al Gore did was sponsored legislation that led to the internet as we know it today being created. Right. right. That's kind of the same thing with Al <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. He, he was the yeah. biggest name yeah. at that time. Could be. Yeah. Right. But yeah, I, mean, I, I couldn't Al really Al give Al it a kind, kind of, kind of rubber stamped a lot of the right. stuff okay. that was right. sort of, yeah. that was sort of um, already kind of like, you know, Caroline, even Caroline Manu uh, minuscule can't be attributed to any one person. It was kind of this natural mm -hmm. unfolding. And then finally, someone comes along and says, "Okay, rubber stamp. This is right. what we're doing." And that's Alcuin. <laughs> it had Stop Alcuin's, changing uh, it. Yeah. yeah, no one changed it from now on. Uh, yeah. A seal of quality, like the Nintendo seal, like the Nintendo <laughs> seal of quality, right there. That it's how you knew that this, you know, this was the good one. This is the one that had Duck Hut and Metroid on it. You know that one, like. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so I mean, so you know, you were just like, okay, so Alcuin is kind of the guy because he was kind of all all these all these monastic channels all went through him. Yeah. So he gets a lot of that. Um, and it's again some of that uh, standardizing because I think that was yeah. another aspect of the what's called the I guess we should say for the listeners this is all called the Carolingian Renaissance uh, mm-hmm. in, in the historiography, which you know, which might be overblowing it a little bit, but also uh, but it might not be because it was a very and again, here you have the kind of like force of will thing because with you know Charlemagne and his you know main man Alcuin, the idea really was to standardize the texts that you could have available at all these monasteries around in your realm so that you could mm-hmm. actually teach the priests how to read goddamn Latin because that's their job and they couldn't do it. Yeah. So, yep. so they had these I... uh, these scriptoria making like official like copying out essential texts like mass producing them as much as they could be mass produced in the 800s. Uh, of these yeah. texts to send out, which is which is a really cool aspect too. Well, I, I I've heard things that say that um, Caroline uh, minuscule is one of the reasons that we have any classical sources now because it was finally more time efficient to copy yeah. out. Yeah, like <laughs> you know because they were these things were getting destroyed. They were basically wiping their ass with copies of Ptolemy's biography <laughs> at this point. And and uh, it was like what 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 is that what what is that what is that you know Archimedes on sphere making? Let me blow my nose into that and throw it out the window. And and then, and then, and then they didn't care anymore because you know there just wasn't time efficient. They had to spend you know the the bulk of their time copying out you know Christian religious text. Mm-hmm. But Caroline manuscript, uh, minuscule, I'm sorry, was basically like the you know now we have kind of like a text speak to write all this stuff out, right? So we can um, so now we yeah. can just make it more efficient and quicker. So we can start doing some of that. What's the, what's a little bit of that? You know, I'll get a little bit of this. Uh, you know, um, the Anabases of Alexander and in between. <laughs> right. You know, you know, but um. Now we have kind of a reason to start copying this stuff out is because now it's it's more worth our while to do so because we don't have to worry about, you know, you know, hey, yeah, let me it, get let me go find whatever, you know, secret decoder ring will translate this Abby's <laughs> writing into mine, you know. Yeah, so Yeah, yeah, that was a problem. I what what Dan just said about um priests not being able to speak Latin actually or not even I mean that that was actually a serious problem there was enough nobility that had gotten their posts either bought their posts or gotten yeah. their posts just because they're nobility that uh, you know education wasn't even really a requirement anymore but holding mass was so they would you know stand up there and just kind of mumble through a half memorized <laughs> Ave Maria or something and and chronicles of the time like, wrote that down like this is shameful what is going on you know this is Get up there and just going at and the rockets red glare. Uh, Lots of bombs in the air. Do you even care anymore? Like just completely given up. Just no. Well you gotta think like, I mean, what's you know, what's Odo the peasant, you know, dirt farming idiot gonna know the difference? You you know? Yeah, you well you go up there and be like If he makes it look good, yeah, just do the right hand movements and in the right tone and and, you'll uh, never know. There once was a savior from Nantucket (laughs) and then And then, and then they went, and then they're all just gonna go like, "Wow, yeah, okay, I, I did my duty. I went to hey, church today." Now, sing know. it and say "Amen," and it sounds good. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and but I think then, that um, was um, yeah. that, that was part of the uh, the saving of these old Latin texts. Also, Glenn is that be, because of that that educational push, they started keeping an eye out for texts that were written in Latin that could be like pedagogical tools, basically, like texts mm-hmm. that were the Latin was clear enough that you could sort of teach people how to read and write it by using these texts. And that's why we get like, I mean, you have stuff like, uh, like, uh, you know, Julius Caesar's, uh, you know, Gallic conquests, which is, was, mm-hmm. was used in like, you know, 
<laughs> I mean, it's it's sort of a, it's a cliche that you know every Latin student starts out three is you know Gaul is divided into three parts, but that's because it was written in a style and with a vocabulary that made it a good pedagogical tool. Right. And so we, like, we, some of that stuff survived that way. Right, right. That's that's how we that's why we learned too. I I read that's how we have so much goddamn Xenophon is that he wrote such <laughs> yeah, he wrote so matter of fact. He, he wrote he wrote so matter of fact and simply and directly that his work was very easily translated. Yeah. Yeah. So so we have that's why we have like 25 surviving Xenophon writings and like you know no primary sources on Alexander the Great because <laughs> you know it's just like it's if just you, like uh, yeah. If you get this really articulate, flowery way of talking, yeah, then I'm like, yeah. how do I say that word in Persian? Sorry, I'm not going to even try. Don't <laughs> care. Yeah. Throw, throw it, throw it on. The, okay, that's going on the you know the chamber pot pile. Like fuck it. Uh, that's a, yeah, that's a chamber uh, pot uh, pile. Yeah. Yep. Oh, he just said the sky is blue. Oh, I can say that. Yeah, sure. I'll translate yeah, that yeah. in ten languages. <laughs> that's yeah. and that's that's a that's a that's an angle of like the that medieval bottleneck of texts we have that have been passed on from antiquity that I had not really thought all that much about before reading about the Carolingian Renaissance that like, yeah, there was ones like, not only did you have like, okay, we're not going to care that much about ones that are antithetical to Christianity. We're not going to care that much about ones that um, like for whatever reason seem to like esoteric or whatever. And also mm-hmm. like, I didn't even think about the, the sheer laziness aspect. Like we're not going to bother yeah. copying down the ones that it's yeah. too hard. It's too <laughs> yeah, hard. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Think about how much we lost just because they're like, Oh God, you know, I got this thing later. I really don't have time for this. Okay. <laughs> it's already uh, got okay. it. It's, it's Matins already. Jesus. Yeah, I that's Matins. Oh geez. Yeah. I was, I'm late for dinner. My wife's going to kill me. What's that? What's this? What's this? Uh, 50 pages on Xenophons. How to name your dog. Let's, let's do yeah. that. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, here, on, Xenophon on horseback riding. That sounds great. Uh, let's see. Let's see. I'm going to go ahead and, you know, but, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, just, and that we have, we have, we have to thank the, the, the Carol, the, the Caroline, uh, uh minuscule for, for all that. that. Kind of, yeah. yeah the, all, uh, but, um, so, but we also, I want to get into kind of the problematic stuff here, guys, if we sure. don't, if we don't mind, um, is that, um, I guess you could say, like, I, I asked the question earlier, when does kind of this disparate um, amalgamation of warring tribes who have been warring since the dawn of friggin' time end, <laughs> and and Germanness sort of begin? And a lot of the kind of the, the year zero I read about is like we were saying earlier, when um, Charlemagne finally snuffs out uh, Saxon hegemony, I'll say, in the German territories. Yeah, um, pagan hegemony, in which he was gave everybody a choice. Right, he was pretty fair about it. You could convert or die. Right, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but and, and then wipes him out because, of course, yeah, he had the biggest you know army of the time. He was you know he was you know going down Mad Max's Fury Road with the largest army of the you know right now, right. and. Um, and uh, so what were you going to do to stop him? He had the backing of the Pope. He had pretty much unlimited cash at this time because of all this, you know, all these Pope bucks he's getting funneled into his armies. Um, <laughs> Pope land fun bucks. Pope, Pope, you know, you, when you go into the carnival, you have to exchange your money for Pope bucks. <laughs> for Pope tokens. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I guess, uh, tokens, yeah. Travis, you may... You may have something to speak to this, like how how much of an organized polity were the Saxons? Like, was this an actual kingdom of oh. sorts he was up facing up against? Or oh, you made a noise like that. Well, <laughs> well, so they weren't. They were completely. Um, there was. So yeah, here's the thing: is later. <laughs> 
they became a charismatic leader who rose and you know kind of uh, joined all the Saxons, but really in defense of Charlemagne, in defense of the Franks. Like so, uh, oh, okay. the the Franks every summer looted Saxon land, captured people, forced converted them at sword point, you know, and burned villages, murdered women and children, and then went back home to their winter quarters. And if the Saxons came back, they did it again the next year for 30 years. So the Saxons became more and more united uh, because they had to defend their, you know, this was, I mean, Franks were aggressive. And so, I mean, if you, so if you, if you just read, um, I mean, the Franks will definitely have you believe that the, it's the Saxons that are the evil barbarians. And, <laughs> right. um, which, but Charlemagne which, was expanding seems, on all sides. It wasn't, which seems you know, mildly ironic that you have like the, the Franks accusing other people of being the rotten barbarians that they have to smash. <laughs> but they do. Yeah. They're like, oh, we got to go in there. But on, on yeah. a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, so Charlemagne, um, you know, as his Cassus belly was kind of, okay, well, they're not Christian. And I have the right. Pope's, you know, the Pope called me the, uh, you know, defender of the faith. So I have to go off in all directions and defeat these pagans. And he maybe really saw that as his mission. I mean, he did, he did send out missionary trips and all that, but was yeah. it a way of pacifying the people or like, yeah, there's theories that the Romans is just kind of did that. But too. Travis, is but, there a difference but between like, between well, like honest, honest missionary feeling and, you know, politically useful Ooh. pacifying? Like, I mean, it's one of going the out there in the sword. Point. Yeah, that was, <laughs> ew. Ew. <laughs> Yeah, if the if the if the missionaries go out in Africa today and with swords, and I think they'll tell you there's a difference. Well, right. I, I mean, in the in the it's, mind it's, of Charlemagne, it's like it's like it's like Christian, it's like Christian jihad on the yeah. Right, right. I I I mean to to us it's very clear, but I just mean to sort of get in like the oh, headspace of Charlemagne. Like, was it? It was the kind of yeah. thing where this conveniently lines up for him. You Maybe know? that just didn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But but there were stories of okay, you have a thousand people in a village and they all get slaughtered uh, just as a warning to the others, or you have a thousand people that are slaughtered because uh, or that are forced converted. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. That's I guess it's so, most famously. I mean, it was most famously done to the Saxons, but I know that Charlemagne would he he expanded the realms of the Franks all the way to like what's modern day Hungary. So he was mm-hmm. buttoned up against right. what was the left Slavs. of the Avars and the Slavs. Yeah. So was that more? And, and I guess I, I'm asking you, Travis, because that's <laughs> or or Glenn. I don't know if uh, if you encountered this in what you're reading. Was were those campaigns like sort of the missionary style as well, or is that more like let's go smash some half human barbarians and take their stuff, just straight up? Because I, some of, I don't think I some read of those many... campaigns, he actually went through the Saxons to get to them, really. I don't know if he if they were just so successful that they kept going. Like maybe they were chasing Saxons and ended up in Slavic or Avar land. Yeah. Uh, but I know that there was, you know, specific attacks against uh, some Slavs. But that's the thing is, yeah, I think he's just, oh, well, they're all pagan. Uh, that, the other thing is um, Saxons and Franks um, spoke dialects that, you know, would sound familiar to each other. Um, whereas Avar's, so the, I, I, I would think, but this is kind of speculation that, that to a Frank, they would say, okay, well, they're pagans. In fact, you know, Franks remember being pagans. It's not living memory, but you know, they all know the stories and, um, you know, so they're, they're, they, they, they know, they know who, who Vodan is and these, and even the Saxon version, Saxnote is still just Odin or, you know, Thor or Thor really. And, um, you know, they know these gods, even if they're not uh, pagan anymore. But the Slavs, 
are speak something they cannot understand at all uh, and the avars and so maybe there was a difference maybe they hated the saxons more because they saw you should be uh, with us and you're not uh, um which doesn't make any sense but yeah that's yeah who knows i mean yeah i i, I seriously believe he just went out in every direction he just you know I, oh there's an ocean he, there can't go there let's go that way right i mean he would have been he would yeah he would have been running i think he would have had to have known that it's time to turn back at eventually because one he didn't want to step on too many Byzantine toes, right? Sure. And yep. and th- and three, you were and uh, and two, um, he was really just heading out into that wild west of Eastern yeah. Europe that existed at the time, and I think he would have been way too far beyond his right way out of his comfort his, zone. <laughs> but, but but well, well, one his his uh, his yeah his scope of influence because the Avars and whatever the Kievian Rus that would have been hanging around at the time mm-hmm. didn't know from the Pope they didn't care who what his bona fides were nah. and two he would have been just so stretched beyond his supply lines and everything at that time that just militarily I don't think it would it got to a point where okay now now we're, we're spreading the butter a little too thin on the bread I think we need to head back and just kind of focus on our Saxons everything because you know you know you never <laughs> well, they're right next door you know, <laughs> yeah you know, wait a minute. Was he worried about his supply lines, or was he worried about like, wait, how many sons did he have? I got three sons. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta conquer an empire big enough so that they won't yeah. necessarily fight each other. I mean, you know, the Frankish mindset is has to be weird in that regard. Like, you're a king. Like, oh boy, oh, I got six sons. I better go out a conquering. Wife, I'll well, be I, home. I, I gotta I go kill some Saxons. He might I mean, have, but I mean, as far as I know, he never tried to cl- cross the channel into Anglo-Saxon kind of uh, English territory. Mm-hmm. Though, That's true. true. Like, was no, it, I don't think it was so. Somehow no, easier just, to go all the way to Hungary than just hop across but, the channel. I guess. But they, oh, well, they, well, they, they were qu- Christians. Okay. Uh, well, that's, that, that's they, true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was already missionaries going back and forth. He sent mission, missionaries. There were missionaries back and forth from the continent. Yeah. So, yeah. That's yeah. true. Al, yeah. Alcuin himself was okay. a Northumbrian, so that yeah. there was okay. already a major. So there was somehow Christianity. Yeah. 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 That's the but one yeah. direction, I guess. Maybe the maybe they were just really afraid of water, so the channel was enough. I don't know. <laughs> they could but. be. They were just superstitious. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's uh, I think bringing up you know splitting the empire among his sons is, I guess, a good uh, good point to talk about, like. And that's what he fucking did. God damn it. Again. So I'm sorry, Travis. I don't know if we can he drop those F-bombs on the show. He got, no, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry. I'm, we, yeah, we don't really filter our language. Do you? No, that's I, I'm fine. Sorry. That's fine. That's I know fine. I've dropped, I've dropped a few. You can, I guess we could have Andrew beep some of these. <laughs> well, yeah. Worst case, I'll beep him, but I'm not, I'm okay. not worried okay. about okay. it now. Okay. Okay. Because, um, because I mean, I, he even got his. You know, like in the '80s when like Frank Sinatra would show up at various colleges and get like an honorary doctorate. Um, Charlemagne actually. <laughs> Where the hell are you going with this? <laughs> no, because um, okay, was it who was it? Maurice was the emperor. Who was the emperor in 1812? Daniel, was it was it um, in 1812? Oh, in 812. Uh... Eight, I, I always say 18. That's my other thing. Sorry, Travis. <laughs> I always say 18 when I mean eight. I, 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 right. I, I actually, uh... I actually remember that from this show. That's all right. Okay, okay. So who who was who was the who was the I I I. I I can't remember. Who ca- yeah, who cares? Yeah, because then it goes. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah. Emperor Bob over there, and right. um, <laughs> Bob the Emperor over there in Constantine, Constantine Land. Um, uh, says uh, officially recognizes Charlemagne's title in eight twelve A.C.E. There, yeah. I didn't say eighteen. So uh, he gets his honorary doctorate from a Constantinople University. Gives a little <laughs> speech, and his his title is officially recognized. So why, after yeah. all of that, all the back 
backdoor deals I did with the Pope Leo over there. All of this fighting, I did 30 years of nonstop war. Again with the just dividing up the kingdom at the end. Yeah. At the I don't I don't get it. At some point, you can't get out. Oh, so Charlemagne actually, I I kind of think that Charlemagne himself couldn't get out of it because he was a lawmaker. And and okay. some of his laws. So the Franks were some of the first to say that the king is not above the law. So you can't be a Frank and then be the first to say the king is not above the law and then say, oh, but I'm going to change the law about my sons. Because the <laughs> no. second, third and fourth born, <laughs> yeah. they're going to kill you first. And then, right. you know, so uh, I think Charlemagne was stuck. Why? I mean, why it didn't happen before or later? I that's I it's just crazy. You know, yeah, in retrospect, yeah. you're like, seriously, what the heck? You know, but yeah, no. Uh-uh. But yeah, so it gets in uh, fact, in fact, later. So later was it? Uh, yeah, it was still a Frankish because in Germany, then obviously they did stop it. And it was the Frankish yeah, king yeah. that stopped it. Um, but the first thing that happened was the son that became king. I'm going to say the wrong thing, but basically was, um, you know, the, the son, the son that they went in, they sent into the monastery. Yeah. As soon as the dad died, he came back and killed the brother that was king and nothing changed. Yeah. So, but, but I, yeah, I, he was, I, so I, the first, I, it failed Travis, at I, first in many ways. Travis, I just got to stop you there. I, I, I love that. I, I want the new slogan of the Lesser Bonapartes to be, I'm going to say the wrong thing, but basically. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I was, I was going to say, like, we are we are perfectly comfortable with, you know, ballparking. Uh, yeah, we, ball, we ballpark all the time. Just everybody. I, I, I work off the academic principle of you, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Right. But yeah, there's that. Um, but the, the way that what I think is interesting is the way that Charlemagne apportions out the realm because he, he's sticking with the tradition of like the Franks, you know, dividing up the realm. But he doesn't stick to the usual divisions like it's not that he gives one son Austrasia and the other son Neustria and the other son Aquitaine but now because the realm is so much bigger it's it it's uh it ends up I think there's like a few years of jockeying but it ends up being like basically like the eastern half you know which is mostly mostly modern day Germany with uh like Austria Switzerland and parts of Hungary goes to one son the western half mm. which would become France so like western France which would become France to the other and then you know the middle you know i don't know if he's chronologically the middle son but there's you know a son gets literally like yeah. northern italy and then a Wolf strip of land going in yeah. between his two brothers all the way up to the north sea and what had to be the most like nerve-wracking realm to try yeah. to <laughs> take care of yeah but so instead of the so he's he's bound enough to tradition to divide the realm among his sons but not so bound to respect the old traditional divisions which is also interesting. there's another thing is if you want to if you want to say why, you know, what in his in history caused this or that, you could make the argument. You could write a book about Lothar, Lothar, Lothar in German yeah. it's like Lothar. Um the third son Lothar that got the middle sliver. Yeah, yeah. That directly you could say i wouldn't necessarily but you could say that directly caused world war one world war two the austro prussian <laughs> war right. i mean the uh, franco-prussian war and then just go back all the way to charlemagne's direct sons yeah, every yeah. single french french germanic war you know including you know strasburg and world war one okay germans took it had to give it back and then you know right. first place hitler hitler raged against that in his speeches you know that we got to get uh, the, 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 that Rhine area back that's Lothar that's the third son I, that's what I think is pretty interesting about uh, so Charlemagne is today 
He, he's buried in Aachen, right? Yeah. The city of Aachen, which is literally like just inside the border mm-hmm. of the modern, you know, mm-hmm. Bundesrepublik of Germany. And it's a, it's a part of Europe that has been in respectively is it has changed German to French to God knows who Spanish hands yeah. for centuries. And it's it's of course Charlemagne is there in that one like just burned over part of Europe that has traded hands everywhere, which is it's kind of it's it's very fitting in a way. And I, and I guess that's part of like, yeah, I'm going to I guess to circle back around as, as we're winding down here, I'm going to make the counter argument that it is France who deserves to claim uh, Charlemagne as as the true founder, um, because uh, you know what, of of all these polities that you know existed in the uh, in the post Carolingian world, Western Francia was the one that more or less retained its yes yeah. its its notion as a polity. Yeah. You know, more, more, I say that, but of course, you know that the whole history of the the weak French monarchy and the the independent Dukes of Burgundy and the English taking over Aquitaine and all that. But right, yeah, you yeah. Know, no, if but, you're talking but about you an right actual, there. yeah, if you're talking about an actual continual state that still existed throughout the whole thing, I think France has a better claim to it than Germany. Yeah, I I could make a counter argument, but I already know the counter argument to that one. <laughs> but um, but all of the so the the King of Bavaria was a Frank after Charlemagne. Yeah. The King of Bavaria was a Frank. The King of um, uh, Frisians had Frank dukes and and lords. Um, I, f- there was a Francia in Germany. There still is today. There's a part of Bavaria called Francia, yeah. um, which you know that that was a dukedom and and Baden and Württemberg and all these. They were all Franks after this. All Franks, one exception. Saxons. Oh. And the, my counter argument to my own argument is um, <laughs> shortly, like within a couple generations after Charlemagne, this, it was the Saxon dynasty that takes over pretty easily. And he, and he actually takes over the power structure that exists, Aust- yeah. you know, Neustria, whatever. Um, and, and it's this that then the Franks now then take it back after the di- the Saxon dynasty is only a couple of kings and then the Franks take back over. But the Franks that take it back over inherit the now fully fledged kingdom of Germany or Holy Roman empire almost. And so that is, so there is technically a break between Charlemagne and those later Frankish (laughs) ones, even though, they're all like genetically, they're all Franks. The, right, right. The, the later, uh, you know, Bavarian kings, all Franks. The Prussians, huh, all Franks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the all the German nobility, you know, all German nobility. Uh, well, actually, the whole European nobility <laughs> right. can all trace their lineage back to Charlemagne, which is first of all super, super creepy. Right. Because they're literally all related. Um, but, but yeah, the other thing is that, that, if you go back far enough, we all have to share some, some sticks of wood in the wood pile, you know, but although, but in, but they're actually way smaller circles. Right. Um, That's true. I mean, if you look at the Habsburg is like, nah, I don't think, um, nah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so definitely any, you could be, okay, well the Habsburg, the, the, uh, emperor, the, the king of Spain, was is yeah. you know just as much a descendant of Charlemagne as the as is the Queen of England and the Queen of the Netherlands and you and know even, um, they all got they're not I wouldn't say they're direct descendants but yeah they all got well they have uh, that Carolinian blood in them for sure yeah and that uh, and what I think is kind of fun fun <laughs> um, what's kind of fun and for cute about this um, like even when the Habsburgs like lose Spain the Spanish throne so like over in Western Francia like eventually like there's I think there's some more Carolingians than there are. The Robertians come in, and then the Carolingians mm-hmm. come back in, and then they get kicked out. And Hugh mm-hmm. Capet comes in, and he's kind of like 
He's who I would call the first king of France, not Clovis. And I think every French right. historian, you know, I think that's terrible right. historiography to claim Clovis is the first king of France. But um, that's romanticism. That's what they yeah, tried yeah. in the 19th century. That's Napoleon. I mean, right. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Napoleon. I think we mentioned on uh, the first episode of our or second or something early on. Who knows how long we've been doing this? But like, you know, Napoleon picked those uh, <laughs> those decorations from Childeric's grave. Clovis's father. He like you know, right. picked that as a symbol. Yeah. But anyway, so Hugh yep. Capet and the Capetians. Uh, you know, e- even though like the Habsburgs get supplanted by a Capetian cadet line, the Bourbons, the Bourbons are still this Carolingian line. It's just, yep. You know, again, yep. it's you can't escape exactly. it. Exactly. That's. I think that's kind of it's kind of a wonderful sort of concrete metaphor for like the massive influence Charlemagne had on yeah. the friggin' continent. Yeah. That that's the thing is like was was he the founding father or was it some of his descendants? That doesn't matter. He was the trunk. Like he's seriously Yeah, if you go even further back you can say, Oh, um, you know, Greece is the kernel of European culture and Rome is the kernel of European whatever, I don't even care. Um but <laughs> but Charlemagne is like seriously like uh the the um, the actual genes from all, all nobility after him were from him and before not, because, you know, the the um, the Carolinians came, were the house of the palace under the Merovingians. Yeah, the, so it doesn't it doesn't yeah, go further palace, back. Yeah. 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 I, well, even then, I guess they were related to the. Yeah, there was they were then married to the Merovingians. But um, yeah, I mean, it just it, it starts with Charlemagne as far as like actual genetics and then the reforms that. Yeah, in Germany, you see him until Napoleon basically stopped him. You know, right. Napoleon's the one that actually Napoleon's the one that finally kiboshed the the German way of of running their empire, which um, can trace its roots back that far. You know, to some degree. Well, we need so. we needn't open up that can of worms. I know, Glenn, you're no, just shaking yeah. your head. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, yeah, we, we can't we, we can't turn this into the history of France podcast. We've already agreed, Daniel. <laughs> That's, that's <laughs> true. We do our, we do our once annual January France blowout, and then yeah, we do, and then we do we a France on. blowout. We know we 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 over ordered at the factory. We're moving them all this weekend. <laughs> uh, we, you know, everything's got to go. Everything. Yeah, gotta it's, go. it's Friday. All France history has to go. And, you know, we got to make way for the new models in 2016. Um, so uh, I think that's a good way, just kind of ending it on that kind of, uh, you know, cacophonous, cluster, fuckied uh, history of European <laughs> uh, uh, succession and, uh, and uh, uh, history of, uh, I guess, nobility. Uh, just, just the kind of influence uh, Charlemagne did have, and I guess you could say the history of Franks. And yeah. that's because learning is fun and <laughs> fundamental, guys. And fundamental. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so wow, yeah, that's a, that, that wraps up uh, part six, Daniel. I I don't know, I don't know if you've been listening to the show, Travis, but yeah, this has been quite a marathon of ours yeah. as doing this uh, this uh, Kingdom of the Franks and everything. And um, yeah, I've been enjoying uh, your your history too. Of course, you go into much uh, better detail than we do in, in your histories in, in this part of, in this time period. Which is which um, I just want to say is is amazing, Travis, that you do such a cool detailed job with history of Germany. When in fact, you also do I think what. A baker's dozen other podcasts as well. <laughs> like you are. Well, well I actually it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost a half dozen now. I it, I record okay. five feeds, so it is. Wow, it almost yeah. is a half dozen. Yeah, which is kind of insane. But it's but impressive, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, that's great, man. So uh, I guess I guess uh, that, that's a that's a great uh, segue into you want you want to roll some plugs. I don't know how much crossover audience we have, but now is the time to kind of hype each other up here, Travis. So you want to plug uh, either uh, history of Germany or where people can find you. 
Yeah, the, well, the one thing we... I, I know you mentioned it before, we should repeat that, is that we're both members on Dark Myths, of Dark Myths, yeah. so you can go to darkmyths.org and find uh, most of my shows and and uh, Lesser Bonaparte's, and there's a ton of other uh, shows there. Um, but yeah, my, my shows would be History of Germany and The Same Thing in German. I also I do it in two languages. <laughs> and The Secret Cabinet, and that also exists in German, but that's that one's not me. And there's Bohemican, which is on the Czech Republic, um, history of Czechoslovakia, Austria-Hungary sometimes, but um, Czech Republic mostly, because uh, I lived in Prague for 10 years. And then what else? Oh, History of Alchemy was actually uh, one yeah. of my first shows. So that's actually that's that one's the, been going on for three years now. Something. So that's yeah. the show that first introduced me to the to the magic of Travis Dow. Or I was, uh, oh, I, yeah. I was very thrilled to find that someone was uh, like actually dedicating a podcast to you know obscure sorcery <laughs> from 500 years ago. That was, <laughs> you know, that that was one where I was like, I wish I would I would listen to that. I would listen to that if that existed. <laughs> right. I doubt anybody else would, but hey, since it doesn't exist, I'll create it. And uh, yeah, it's it's it, that's been a, a fun ride meeting other people that are interested in all kinds of <laughs> weird yeah, weird belief systems and whatnot. But yeah, sure. Okay, let's do that. And um, okay, so I'll just do that. And then, well, that's a, that's a great little uh, crossover event, and we hope you enjoyed our um, our uh, geez, fucking six part. Uh, I, we need to do like a couple. <laughs> we need a couple of one offs here, Daniel, coming up. I think so. We, need, we, will, we need time to catch our breath before the next uh, big series. That's for sure. You want to you want to go ahead and tease that series, Daniel? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think the uh, the 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 next uh, close look we'll be taking will be at a. You know how much we love the the failed proto-reformers on this show. And we're going to be taking a look at a very bizarre episode in Renaissance Florence with uh, Savonarola, the just monstrously puritanical prophet slash, you know, apocalypse bringer slash reformer, maybe? Anyway, it's really, <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole lot to unpack, but it should be really, really cool. Yeah, and uh, so we'll see. We'll get to that in the next series. Maybe we'll have a one-off or two just to kind of turn the hats backwards and just have a little us time before we move into <laughs> our next deep dive. Um, until then, go ahead and uh, uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Lesser Podcast, rate, review on iTunes, write us at lesserbonapartes at gmail.com. Don't forget our Patreon subscribers uh, at the $1, 5 and $10 level. We got uh, Carlin's and LB Knights coming up. Uh, if you're listening mm-hmm. on the day of release, we have an LB Knights dropping this weekend, and we do have that Carlin coming out this month so now's a good time to subscribe and get an epic fuckwad of content from us (laughs) as we like to say all right anyway so i hope you enjoyed this show on charles the great i'm i'm sure i'll do another one where i'll kind of break down um some of his battles and stuff and and some like a little bit more of a chronological order um but other than that there'll be if so I this show might be my third or fourth show on the franks and i think uh there'll definitely be one or two more coming which means if you if you don't want to wait, go listen to the Lesser Bonaparte's now six seven uh, episodes on the Franks, and uh, by then I should be ready. And otherwise, um, I'd like to thank again, thanks uh, Dan and Glenn for coming on the show. That this was a lot of fun. <laughs> hey, it was it was awesome, Travis. Uh, yeah, this this was really really great. We'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely, yeah, and um, yeah. Other than that, so stay tuned for more on the Franks, and then after this series, the the Saxons and the the kingdom of Germany properly and uh, all that good stuff. So uh, thanks a lot for listening to the history of Germany podcast and uh, have a good evening.
imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.